Welcome to Career Practitioner Conversations. This podcast is presented by the National Career Development Association. Hello, everyone, and thanks for listening. I'm Melissa Venable, NCDA's Director of Professional Development, and this is another episode in our Career Development Around the World series. Current NCDA past president, Dr. Lakeisha Matthews, is here with Marcela Mesa in Colombia and Maria Clara Leal in Spain. Marcela is a psychologist and GCDF. She's also co-chair of NCDA's Global Connections Committee. Maria Clara is a psychologist and career guidance expert, and she's joined today by Catherine, who will be translating. So thank you all for joining us today, and we're ready to get the conversation going. Thanks, Lakeisha. Thank you so much, Melissa and Marcella and Maria Clara. Thank you for being here with us to record this podcast today. I am excited about this conversation. As you may know, my presidential theme has been career development around the world. And I have been talking with professionals who are doing career development work for various populations in different countries. And, and there's so many similarities. Some of us are facing some of the same challenges. And then there are so many differences where some of us are implementing very innovative ideas and we can all learn from each other. So today we're going to learn more and dive into the career work that's taking place in Spain and Colombia. Can you both start off by first telling the audience about your work in the career development field? Absolutely. My journey in the career development field began back in 99. And I've been a career practitioner in private practice since then. Um, and I started um, with big interest, but small knowledge, less, just from my training as a psychologist. And, and nowadays, I enjoy a broad scope of activities. Uh, I do not only work one-on-one, -on -one, uh, mainly with clients that are transitioning from high school to higher ed but also with adults that are facing some kind of um, challenge in their career journey uh, during their adulthood. And uh, not only one-on-one, -on -one, but I also hold group assessments and group workshops in schools, in private and in public schools. That's a difference. Since uh, uh, 2016, I have joined a bigger social sustainability project supported by an enterprise, by, the, by a bigger enterprise in the region, and so I got to reach out to underserved youth. And this has been a big challenge and also very satisfying because within this project, uh, we have developed also a career coaching program to accompany those youth that have a scholarship until they graduate. So we see the whole process from when, where they start transitioning from high school to higher ed to uh, graduate uh, from higher ed. And also, I have made some contributions to uh, human resources departments, um, supporting their hiring processes and also training and development. And this has been very interesting because this way I can approach youth and tell them this is the, the labor market. Uh, this is how the labor market looks like. This is reality. So I can feel more confident and say this is what you have to prepare for. This is the whole scope of my 
my work, including also a web-based assessment tool that we have been developed. I, in particular, am very impressed with the work with underserved youth. That's a major issue as well in the United States and the career coaching program you all have developed. And we are so grateful to have you as one of our co-chairs of the Global Connections Committee um, because of the rich experience that you can add uh, to that committee serving all of our international members. Marie-Claire, can you tell us a little bit about your work in career development? Bueno, yo empecé a trabajar en el tema de orientación para la carrera como asesora de educación superior para la presidencia en Colombia en el año 2008. Y en 2010 me vinculé directamente con el Ministerio de Educación Nacional, en donde estuve hasta el 2020. Cuando yo inicié la labor, eh, era un tema nuevo e inexplorado. Y en ese momento y en política pública no se hacía mucho al respecto. Lo que he logrado en estos más de 12 años es crear los lineamientos políticos y posicionar el tema. Y he utilizado los datos estadísticos combinados con herramientas etnográficas que me permitieron consolidar los lineamientos de política pública para la vinculación, la permanencia y el ingreso al trabajo. Y toda esta experiencia ha quedado detallada en varios textos como el manual de rutas de vida y la guía para permanencia y graduación. Y actualmente estoy trabajando en España en temas de orientación para la carrera con población migrante. I started working on career development as a higher education advisor for the Colombian president in 2008. In 2010, I was directly linked to the Ministry of Education where I stayed until 2020. When I started my work in 2008, career development was a very new and unexplored topic in the country at that time, and especially in public policy. Um, so what I've achieved over uh, more than 12 years is to create the political guidelines uh, to establish career development as an important topic for the country. Um, I've used the statistical uh, data combined with ethnographic tools that allow me to consolidate public policy guidelines for admissions, uh, student retention and job entry. Um, all this experience has been detailed in several publications of mine, such as the Life Pathways Manual and the Guide for Student Retention and Graduation. And I'm currently working in Spain on career counseling with a migrant population. Wow, that is very, very, very important work when it comes to the public policy piece. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, one of the things that we've seen as we have talked to other countries, especially when I'm thinking of Egypt and I'm thinking of Taiwan, is that uh, career uh, development is still in an emerging industry. And the key is connecting it to public policy. If it's not connected to public policy, it can't. we can't reach as many people, we can't reach as many students, and we don't get the resource or monetary support that we need. So thank you so much for this great work that you've been doing on the public policy side of career development. All right, let's dive into a different topic. Um, I recently had the opportunity to write an article for CEREC, which is a Canadian career publication and organization. And I talked a little bit about the future outlook of the labor market and career development. Can you two speak to what the future may hold for career development in your country? Where's our industry going in Spain and in Colombia? Well, Colombia is a remarkable, diverse country, and it defies one-size-fits-all descriptions. And maybe some figures can give us some, some lights on this. Actually, at, um, this is a, data, a figure from August 23, 2023, and Colombia faces 9.3% um, 
of unemployment. We are the fourth highest rate in the world in unemployment. This is one of the challenges. And at the same time, Manpower Group has conducted the research and found out that 64% of employers have difficulty finding the right uh, people and the right talent. So we have a big, big gap. And it, it will be a role, a very important role for career development specialists to, <clears throat> to bridge this gap and uh, to, to go, for example, to schools and say, what is missing? What does the labor market need? We have a lot of, of needs in um, healthcare, in industry, in uh, information technology. We have so many vacancies that can't be fit. Mm. This is one of the biggest challenges. Mm. And we have we face also other challenges. Um, last year, over a half and half a million Colombians left Colombia, emigrated to other countries that was never seen before because of political and financial and economic uncertainty. Mm. Uh, and at the same time, we face a big immigration of Venezuelans. Colombia has received 2.7 million Venezuelans uh, that are not so skilled. Most of them are not so skilled uh, and they are also pressing on the labor market. So those are very, very big challenges that, that we face as a country. Yeah. And uh, well, besides other topics that you also mentioned in your in your article and that are also present, like, for example, the preference of uh, youth to work remotely instead of face to face and also the search for emotional and uh, for emotional and general uh, well-being for emotional salaries. Those are also topics that are present in the labor market. But oh the most goodness. important are those those topics that we face and that we have um, to cope some some. Uh, yeah, th this is really interesting because, again, uh, around the world, we are all experiencing some of the same things, and that that is a very high um, unemployment rate. And it's, I imagine that that is a great challenge. But it's interesting that employers are saying that they have difficulty finding talent when there are so many people looking for work, and I feel that. Many countries grapple with that. We have the same thing sometimes in the United States when employers are we're graduating thousands of students from colleges and high schools and employers are still saying that they can't find the right talent. And this seems to be a global issue that really probably will take global minds all coming together to really solve. And thank you for mentioning immigration. You're the, actually the first country that has mentioned immigration and its impact on career development and the labor market. And mm -hmm. by all means, um, of course, the U.S. sees that as well, particularly depending on which state you might live in and where uh, migrants might be uh, coming into the country from, it really can have an impact on who you serve and what their options are, especially depending on their citizenship status and, and so forth. So that's a great um, note to add to the conversation that makes our work more important, but more complex at the same time. All right. So when it comes to the industry, uh, Marie-Claire, what are we seeing um, in Spain when it comes to the labor market in our industry? What does the future hold? Bueno, sí, en España la situación es bastante similar que al resto del mundo y de tu artículo hay unos puntos que son muy interesantes y que lo recojo con un eco especial. El primero es la necesidad de aumentar el valor que hacemos 
en orientación lo que hacemos nosotros y comunicarlo de una forma más efectiva para nuestro impacto. Y es precisamente este podcast y la red de NCDA que se ha creado la que permite la cooperación entre pares y la conversación. Estos espacios nos permiten avanzar y fortalecer el tema a nivel global y apoyarnos mutuamente. En segundo lugar, el punto que plantea sobre la conversación entre educación, empresas y gobierno es una de las cosas que hemos trabajado y que, como tú bien decías al inicio, es algo en que tenemos que ir profundizando. En el artículo planteas una pregunta muy interesante sobre la propuesta sólida de valor que podría ayudar a empresas y a gobiernos a ver la orientación eh, como una inversión. Y quisiera mencionar que en Colombia lo que nos ha ayudado es poner sobre la mesa las tasas de deserción y desempleo en cifras y mostrar cuánto cuesta en comparación con la inversión eh, en procesos de, de orientación. Con esta estrategia de comparar números, logramos un número importante de, de logros que es el Acuerdo Nacional de Retención realizado en 2013, un, un documento de política pública en donde varios sectores gubernamentales tienen que trabajar juntos para brindar orientación profesional y también eh, incluir la orientación para la carrera en las políticas de financiación educativa y en programas de gobierno de vinculación a la, a la educación superior. Yeah, so um, the problems that we're facing in Spain are actually similar to those uh, that are being faced around the world. And I, I wanted to highlight um, some of the things that you mentioned in your article, actually, which I found are very interesting. I wanted to pick up on a couple of the points. Um, so the first was that about um, the need to increase the value of what we do in career development and more uh effectively communicate our impact. Um, it's precisely this podcast and the NCDA network um, that's been created that allows for that kind of conversation and cooperation amongst peers. Um, these spaces allow us to move forward and strengthen the subject at a global level and support each other as well. Um, secondly, the point that you raised about uh, the conversation between education, business and government is one of the things that we've been working on um, with with Marcella and myself and what we what we want to continue to deepen in this conversation. Um, in the article, you asked a very interesting question regarding the, the strong value proposition um, that could help companies and governments uh, see career development orientation as an investment. And I'd like to mention that in Colombia, what's helped us is to put on the table um, the dropout and unemployment rates in figures and show how much they cost compared with the investment in orientation processes. Um, with this strategy of comparing numbers, we achieved a national agreement for retention, which was made in 2013, and a public policy document that achieves, sorry, that's a public policy document that achieves that several government sectors had to work together to provide guidance. Um, that was in 2014. It was named COMPES or C-O-N-B-E-S, uh, 173 of 2014. In that, it included career guidance in educational funding policies and in government admissions programs for higher education. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. I'm so excited. My head is probably going to explode and pop off. The work in Colombia, the work in Spain, there is so much we can be learning from you all. The fact that you were able to explain our work through numbers to get a response to understand that the work we do can impact dropout, 
and unemployment rates, which do in fact have an impact on companies, which then impacts our entire economy. The fact that you were able to do that and to get that before the right people and to link that to career development is brilliant. And oh my goodness, we, so many people around the world are trying to do that type of work. You all are really a case study and a benchmark that other countries can learn from. Um, I am taking something away from this. Now, I do this in higher ed is talk about the value in numbers. Of course, how many students use our services and how that impacts the student success story. But we aren't really doing that on a public policy level in the U.S. And uh, as an organization, NCDA has continued to move into what we call a lobbying space of going out and actively speaking to politicians on the state level and the federal level. But we can learn from you in that not just explain our value in 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 uh in narrative format but tell a story through numbers and link it to the greater economy that is absolutely brilliant thank you so much um for sharing that all right let's talk a little bit more about the challenges both of you have mentioned challenges in Colombia and Spain around dropout rates and the unemployment rates um is there a particular population um in Colombia or Spain that really has major challenges right now to finding work um, challenges uh, during the career journeys one of the we, we found out five main challenges during the career journey one is the transition from high school to post-secondary education and for this it is important to know that most high school students finish school when they are 16 16 to 17. So they mostly don't know what to study. Mm -hmm. So the absorption rate, the uh, the um, thirty nine percent of high school students actually go to higher university. Thirty nine percent, and within higher university, a higher higher ed, we have a desertion rate, a dropout rate of forty five percent. So this is what we are working on. Th those are the numbers that, that keep us up as career uh, practitioners and say, there's a lot of work to do. Mm. We still have 32% of needs that is not engaged in education and employment or training. We call them ninis over here. And this is a high-risk population. This is a very high-risk population. So our campaign constantly is to keep them uh, away from being a nini, as we tell them, need is, is the term in English, as I found out, uh, because this is a, a, a high societal risk. And uh, of course, with those uh, with, with those uh, gaps of the people not trained as and what the labor market needs, and competing with a lot of other um, labor market offerings all over the world, this is a major challenge. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I think as I've gone around uh, the world, that high school 
uh, age group seems to be a challenge for most countries um, for different reasons in different countries. But there's there's something in that transition that I think all of us need to dive into more and continue to improve how we help our high school students transition uh, to the workplace or in the U.S., maybe the military or trade or in the workforce or to college. It's very interesting, though, that um, your, your age is younger, right? So in the States, it's around, I think, 18, maybe when you're graduating from high school. So I can only imagine what it must be like to provide career coaching to a 16 year old um, where that maturity level is and trying to help them plan out the rest of their life or their future education. Okay, so let's talk about um, Marie Claire's work uh, in uh, Columbia from the perspective of which groups and uh, had the major challenges and looking at it, I think your lens is great because it's this public policy lens. Bien, esos desafíos que hemos mencionado que son cinco y que tienen que ver con la salida de la escuela, que tienen que ver también con cómo se adaptan esa crisis de carrera eh, en la educación superior y también cómo el paso de cuando termina la educación superior a, al trabajo y en el trabajo lo hicimos también eh, relacionando estos cinco desafíos con las estadísticas de abandono escolar y las cifras siempre de la mano y también analizándolo con herramientas etnográficas. Los primeros cuatro desafíos que se dan dentro del proceso educativo se reconocen en la guía de retención y graduación de la educación superior, que es un texto que escribimos en su momento en, en el Ministerio de Educación. Y es importante señalar que para el reto del de trabajo, de vincularse mejor al trabajo, eh, lo hemos trabajado con el Servicio Público de Empleo y forma parte del Ministerio de Trabajo. Yes, when it comes to the challenges that were faced um, in, in Colombia, um, in addition to uh, what Marcela was saying about uh, the, the challenges for secondary school age uh, children, we were also looking at the challenges for uh, people when they have career uh, problems in the, in the middle of their career, also in university, the different, the different stages of um, those challenges. And um, yeah, so we, we had, we were looking at those five challenges. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. It's really interesting. So what I like about the work in Colombia, you all have, first of all, very clearly identified the five challenges and you have identified what I think is now I'm seeing it as a global challenge, the transition from high school to college. But also I, I appreciate the adding on that university students also struggle with career development and that just because you're in uh, college or at the university level does not mean that you know exactly what you want to do or how to transition into the labor market and the acknowledgement that middle career or middle age professionals also struggle sometimes, um, whether it's from unemployment or how to make a career transition, how to advance in their, their career. So um, it's holistic. 
it's holistic. And what I think is important is that a person like um, Marie Claire is on the public policy side. And then you also have um, work taking place by Marcella working directly with the population. Um, it seems like to me that Columbia really has a holistic approach to career development. So even though this work may have been started, I think you all said in 2008, you are really building an infrastructure that has capacity and longevity uh, for serving the needs of your clients, which is very, very exciting. As I've talked to different practitioners, I've noticed that um, different frameworks or different theories even technology um, or different models seem to be preferred over others in certain countries. You know, the U.S. Um, really has more of a counseling uh, approach that now is being merged with what we call career coaching. Um, in Taiwan, they really focus on supporting teachers um, and training them to also be career uh, educators. Um, in Egypt, there's a current movement on the higher ed level. Um, what framework uh, does Columbia rely on? Are there certain theories or models of career development? Is there technology infrastructure um, that's really supporting this movement? Eh, bien, es un tema bien interesante porque los modelos teóricos no son estáticos, sino que cambian con el tiempo y nos ayudan y nos dan muchas ideas, pero a la larga se quedan cortas. Y por eso hemos pasado... Eh, o saltado de un paradigma a otro. Y así hemos trasladado el tema de orientación vocacional profesional al nuevo concepto de orientación sociolaboral. Les contaré. Iniciamos con un concepto de orientación vocacional y es también el concepto más ampliamente conocido por la población eh, y que todavía persiste. Y la orientación primero fue analizar qué era lo que pasaba en términos deterministas con el concepto vocacional porque muchas personas creen desde el nacimiento ya saben a qué se van a dedicar, eh, pero el Estado debe ampliar las oportunidades en función de las necesidades que hay en el mundo actual. Y así ahora que entendemos la orientación no solo como un análisis interno, sino como una manera de construir los intereses, lo llamamos entonces orientación social. Y de esta manera persisten también paralelamente otro concepto que es el de orientación profesional y reconociendo que hay muchas personas que no están interesadas en formarse solamente en la universidad eh, sino en otros niveles educativos, hablamos entonces de una orientación ocupacional y en este análisis es donde se construye la orientación sociolaboral socio porque toma en cuenta lo que se necesita en un contexto pero también ocupacional porque ayuda a las personas a encontrar su lugar en la vida y este concepto de orientación sociolaboral, eh, socioocupacional, tiene una fuerte base teórica en el constructivismo social y ha tardado a mucho en integrarse en el discurso de orientadores y ya está dejando una huella en la sociedad. So, um, this is a really interesting topic because uh, the theoretical models that we've used are not static. They change over time. Um, they help us, they give us lots of ideas, but they fall short in the long run. Mm -hmm. um, so that's why we've kind of moved or jumped from one paradigm to another. And we've transitioned from this idea of a vocational professional orientation to reach a new concept of socio-occupational orientation. That's that's what we call it now. Um, so I'm going to explain a little bit about that. We began with the concept of vocational guidance, which is also the most widely known concept in people's minds and is the most common term. 
Um, but the first thing that we did was to analyze the deterministic relationship that exists in people's concept of having a vocation. Because, for example, many people from the day that they're born think that they know what they're going to study or because their families, they already have certain paths marked out. Right. Um, but the state should be widening the opportunities available according to current world needs. So now we understand guidance not only as an internal analysis, um, but as the way in which interests are constructed and therefore guidance must broaden the framework of opportunities, mm. the, the guidance that we offer, and the state must respond with training possibilities. Um, so that led us to move away from the, this, this kind of deterministic idea um, towards the constructivist perspective and call it social orientation. Um, at the same time, we began to review the concept of professional orientation, uh, career guidance, which has also become very well known in Colombia. Um, we recognize that there are many people who are not interested in university. And therefore, if we only counsel or give guidance for that educational level, then we're directing people one way rather than offering genuine career guidance. Um, so in order to make room for other types of training, we began to review what was needed to make way for them. So that's how we came up with the term uh, occupational orientation, which encompasses all types of tertiary education. In the analysis of the advances of the vocational and professional concepts, a new concept is formed, which is socio-occupational guidance. A socio because it takes into account what's needed in the social context of the person, uh, region or country, and occupational because it seeks to help students find their place in their work life. This concept of socio-occupational guidance, uh, which has a strong theoretical basis in social constructivism, has taken a long time to be integrated into the discourse of counsellors, families and students. But today, it's made its way into the common vocabulary in Colombia, in a large part of the country, and it's made its mark on society. Oh my goodness, this is absolutely um, amazing. I am very impressed with the work that has gone into formulating uh, Columbia's approach to career guidance. Uh, something you said really stuck out with me, and that is theoretical models need to change over time because it's not static. We're dealing with people. We're dealing with human beings and culture changes and society changes. And we have to be willing to let go of old models that no longer work and aren't relevant to the people that we're serving today. And my goodness, Columbia has really done that. I also like this socio-occupational guidance model because I believe it is more digestible for people of all industries to understand that career development uh, connects to greater society instead of treating it like it's some one uh, component of our lives that's separate from everything else. It is not. It is. It is. It has an impact on the entire being and our entire society. So uh, kudos and great work to Columbia for taking the time to think on such a critical level of a model that is, um, I think, uh, a model that people can understand, governments can understand, and practitioners can understand. I think that that is just amazing. Marcella, did you want to add to that as well? Yes, I, I just wanted to add something small. As a practitioner, this model has been extremely useful for me uh, to, uh, to explain to families about what is social occupational guidance. It's like you are going to take a place and play your role, an important role in society, whatever it is. You're going to, uh, and you have to think about what are your preferences? What are your, your, your skills? And what role with those skills, what role do you want to occupy uh, to hold in, in within society? And that is clear for all. So it's a 
Yes, it has been very, very useful. This framework, I use it all the time. Wow. Thank you for sharing that, because I think what you just showed us is that there is a way where our public policy practitioners and our governments can create frameworks that practitioners can actually use. Because sometimes one of the things we see in the U.S. is that you have so every state and every state might have a different framework. And then sometimes the framework isn't even utilized by the practitioners actually doing the work. But you all have created a framework that resounds with every player that's uh, helping to support the career development of the population. And not only is it um, something that the public policy folks um, can understand, but it's also something that you as a practitioner can utilize um, with your clients in in terms that are very easy for even students to understand. I think that that is, um, that's that's amazing. I'm actually going to make a note um, to go in and research this model some more and read about this um, model that you all have been using. Um, So the next question for both of you all, and we're almost to the end here, if there was one program or one particular policy or strategy that you all have implemented that you feel the numbers show has been very successful, which one, which strategy would you want to share with our listeners? Eh, en Colombia, el tema de orientación sociolaboral y socioocupacional ha seguido ganando protagonismo y la estrategia clave que se ha utilizado es el plan de orientación en cada institución educativa. Se llama POSO. Eh, los POSO reúnen a docentes, familias y estudiantes para construir colectivamente la herramienta de orientación y se basa en cuatro elementos claves. Uno, el mundo personal que promueve el autoconocimiento. Dos, el mundo académico que revisa lo que el sistema educativo ofrece para la formación. Tres, el mundo laboral que permite reconocer qué ocupaciones están vinculadas a esta formación. Y cuatro, el mundo financiero que ayuda a reconocer la proyección económica de la ocupación que desean. Eh, y esos cuatro mundos se exploran a través de una triada metodológica que permite reconocer tres ejes de la orientación, asesorar, informar y experimentar. Esta directriz de política pública ha proporcionado una base teórica a los orientadores, como Marcela, por ejemplo, quienes luego pueden realizar muchas actividades según sus propios métodos y su estilo. Y bueno, hay un texto que se llama Manual de Rutas de Vida donde pueden, pueden tener más información. Okay, um, in Colombia, the topic of socio-occupational guidance has continued to gain prominence and the key strategy for doing this was using the guidance plan in each educational institution, which is called POSO or POSO. Uh, the POSOs bring together teachers, families and students to collectively build guidance tools based on four key elements. The first one is the personal world, which promotes self-awareness. The second is the academic world, which reviews what the education system offers for training. Um, the third is the world of work, which makes it possible to recognize which occupations are linked to this training. And the fourth is the financial world that helps to recognize the economic projection of the desired occupation. Um, and these four worlds are explored through a methodological trial that allows us to recognize the three axes in the orientation, advising, informing and experiencing. This public policy guideline has provided a theoretical basis for counselors, such as Marcella, for example, who can then carry out many activities according to their own methods and style. You can find out more in the Roots of Life manual. 
Okay, I'm moving to Colombia. Okay, this is just amazing. So this POSO guidance plan that uh, has these worlds, the personal, academic, uh, work and financial in this uh, unified language is, is, this is what we all have been desiring in other countries to get everyone talking the same way and understanding the same construct. This is just so well done. Thank you so much um, for sharing this. I definitely am going to go and look at this. I think that um, from even my work and what NCDA is trying to do from a uh, public policy level, this is very helpful. And for our listeners, we will provide links um, to this great work and to this model uh, that uh, our our colleagues here in Colombia are sharing with us. Marcella, did you want to add to that? Yes, uh, shortly from the practitioner side, I can observe the constant combination of different approaches and programs. In Colombia, you can find the most re refined and comprehensive and up-to-date career counselors in private schools that integrate all those four topics. Uh, and uh, you can also find schools that do not address this topic at all. Mm. Um, and um, thanks to to the the uh, support of private enterprises, progressively this approach uh, is being brought to the most distant regions, to uh, the uh, rural uh, environments, to the underserved uh, uh, populations, and to everyone. So. Uh, there is a big difference and there is still a lot to do in career development. It's everything built up. This is a very important structure, but you're very welcome <laughs> as far as the, the situation allows. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I love how you remind us that even though we have models, we still have the work of getting the models to everyone, right? Based on where you might be in the region, based on what type of school um, you may be going to. A model is only if, if effective if we can get it to people to help them to understand. Um, the, the, the point being, though, to me is that Columbia has been very intentional about career development and you have a solid framework to stand on to continue this work and really embed it throughout your country and culture. Um, in closing, of course, I want to talk a little bit about NCDA. What does NCDA mean to you? How has it helped you or how is it helping professionals, career professionals in Colombia do this work? I can speak about myself because uh, NCDA has played a pivotal role with the advancement of career development and the impact on the populations I serve. In 2004, I attended my first National Career Development Association conference in San Francisco. Uh, I even did a presentation over there with International Association for Vocational Guidance, a small presentation. And then this year in 2023, I went back and uh, went to Chicago and this was so inspiring uh, for me. I heard your presentation. I have been there um, and um, inspired by this in 2004, I organized one of the first career guidance symposiums in Colombia that was titled School, University and Enterprise, an Integrative Point of View. And uh, well, there is there's still, as, as I retake the words of uh, Dr. Rita Chiesa, who you have been interviewing recently, 
Uh, there is no professional identity as career counselor mm -hmm. in Colombia, mm -hmm. uh, where we have still professionalization missing. And we think uh, NCDA could be a great partner with all those uh, competency frameworks that you have set up. Of course, it would have to be adapted to our language and our culture mm -hmm. needs. Uh, but well, this, uh, this is a big and all this this gathering is so important for us. Well, congratulations on that symposium. I know that that's, um, a, that's a very big feat to have accomplished. I'm so glad that there's a gathering spot uh, for professionals. Also glad that you are, uh, been, you've taken part in our co global conferences, um, as well as uh, being a leader on our global connections uh, committee. And um, I just encourage you all to keep pressing on and to make the work relevant uh, to your country and to your population. I think um, you can lean on Egypt and you can lean on Taiwan because they're doing the same thing. Um, they may be called something different in their countries. Um, it has to be culturally relevant. Of course, language is, uh, is huge as well. But I am in admiration of this work that's going on. And I encourage you to continue to be a leader in this area um, in, in Colombia and to continue to let us know how we can, can help. I'm on a mission to talk to career practitioners around the world. So I'm going to add Columbia to my list of places where I need to visit and really get on the ground and see the work that you all are doing. All right. And Marie Claire, how has NCDA or what do you know about NCDA? How does it play a role in your work? Bueno, para mí es una gran oportunidad para poder seguir creciendo en aprendizajes, poder fortalecernos entre red, entre todas las personas que hacemos orientación profesional desde diferentes países y perspectivas y a través de diferentes teorías, por ende enriquecer nuestro conocimiento y colectivo en todo este tema. For me, uh, it's a great opportunity uh, to keep growing in learning, to be able to strengthen ourselves as a network um, among uh, people who do career counseling from different countries and perspectives um, and through different theories and therefore enriching our, our collective knowledge of the subject. So. It's been great. <laughs> Wonderful. Thank you both for your connection to NCDA. Thank you for taking the time to speak with me today. I am super excited um, of the work you are doing. I'm very impressed and I'm looking forward to following um, the continued work of career development in Colombia. Take care. Thank you very much uh, to you also, uh, Lakisha and to Melissa, to uh, invite us and to accept us in this interesting space of conversation. Absolutely. Yo he quedado muy feliz. Muchísimas gracias por esta oportunidad y por conocerte. Uh, I'm really happy as well that we could have this opportunity to be here today. And thank you for the opportunity.